you're listening to Group, a podcast about mental illness and mental health. This is the show for people dealing with depression. I thought depression was one of those things that only rich people get, like tennis elbow or skin cancer. The show for people who are experiencing some anxiety. Chit, chat, chit, chat. Where are we going with this? And the show for people who are doing what they need to do to get better. I'm not embarrassed to admit it, took some pretty intensive therapy. Yeah. It really did. After the show, you went to therapy. Years. For those of you who can't turn off your brains, we're here to let you know you're not alone. I, I can't sleep. I can't turn my mind off. It keeps running and thinking and making lists. For those of you who need a friend, we're here to give you some advice. Maybe if you drank a little less coffee, you'd make a little less lists. Our goal is to tell your stories, to make you laugh, and to give you an audio hug through your earbuds. My name is Rebecca Lee Douglas. I'm an anxious person, and I'm here with my good friend and co-host, science journalist Ian Chant. Hello. Um, Ian, I have a question for you. All right. Okay, so I know you have a lot going on. You're planning a cross-country move. You're getting married soon, and you have a full-time job. You're working on your own podcast, Menagerie, and you're co-hosting this podcast. So I'm wondering, how is your sleep? My sleep's not great, but my sleep's never been great. There are times in my life when my, my sleep has been just like a garbage fire for long, long stretches. So when you say garbage fire... I've had a whole variety of sleep problems uh, throughout my life, from insomnia to night terrors. No way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What were the night terrors like? I used to get them a lot when I was a kid, and I would just, I would, I would wake up and I would feel like something was just on my, you know, the feeling of pressure on your chest, being awake, but still being unable to move and sort of pilot your oh, body. Oh, you had like night paralysis? You had like paralysis? Uh, yeah, I had like sleep that. paralysis. Um, when did you have insomnia? I had insomnia for um, a lot of high school. I would go days and not get sleep, it, oh my and, God. which was like pretty regular. I wanted to sleep, but I couldn't. My mind would just keep going. I would just lay awake and do you remember how you how you got got out of it? Um, you know, as far as I can tell, it just kind of passed. Um, I love sleeping. I'll go through periods where I'm a, a really great sleeper, and then I'll go through periods where if I'm like stressed or if I'm, uh, you know, particularly anxious, I find myself like worrying in my sleep. I'll, I'll sort of like. How do you worry in your sleep? <laughs> It's very easy. <laughs> so um, so I'll find myself like sort of aware that I'm asleep, like coming into consciousness a little bit, not quite awake, but enough to like be uh, aware of like what's going on in my brain. And I'll realize that I'm trying to like problem solve something that's going on in my life. Or um, I'm just like obsessing over a conversation that I had where I like said the wrong thing. Rebecca, um, or... are you lucid worrying? <laughs> I am definitely lucid oh, worrying. Darling, and no. Then, and then I'll have to like, I'll have to like, be like okay you have to stop that now like this is the time for rest this is not the time for like planning your trader joe's grocery list or like you know it's rather pointedly not <laughs> trying to figure out like my schedule like okay so like on thursday you know i have like this freelance project or whatever and then I, like i have to see this friend the next day but like oh fuck but i also like have to go to yoga because if i don't go to yoga then i'm gonna feel weird so like trying to figure that out in my brain you know and it sounds like the worst thing imaginable 
Well, I find that I don't sleep as well when I'm anxious and that makes me more anxious and then I'm more stressed out during the day because I didn't sleep well and then like that will lead to patterns where the next night I'll be stressed out because I know I need to sleep better and then I won't be able to fall asleep and then I'll have worry dreams again and then anyway it's it's a whole thing but um, in, in this episode we're going to be exploring the connection between sleep and mental health. We'll hear from a sleep specialist about the connection between sleep and mood. We notice that there is an uptick in depression when people aren't sleeping well. It's a, it's a risk factor for depression, for anxiety. We'll take a field trip to my apartment where I'll share my own tools for getting a good night's sleep, including my beloved weighted blanket. So how many blankets does this feel like? <sighs> like a hundred. And we'll speak with two women about their journeys to manage their depression and their sleep problems. My insomnia was bad every single night. I was having panic attacks. I was breaking down. If I was not feeling up to confronting the world, I would default to sleeping more. Before we start talking about insomnia and other sleep disorders, I wanted to go over the basics of the best way to set yourself up for a good night's sleep. So I went to speak with a clinical psychologist who specializes in behavioral sleep medicine. I'll let her introduce herself. I am Dr. Shelby Harris. I am the director of behavioral sleep medicine at Montefiore Medical Center in the Bronx. And right now we're in our sleep lab at Montefiore Medical Center on the main campus. So I asked her to go over the basics of sleep hygiene, uh, which is not necessarily related to how often you clean your sheets. Okay, good. <laughs> It's uh, it's more about like the simple things that you can do during your waking hours that are conducive to getting good sleep. I'm worried I'm not doing many of those right either. <laughs> yeah, so I thought it would be fun if I could give you sort of a quiz. So I want I want you to see if you can name any of the important elements of sleep hygiene, and then I have the the recording of Dr. Harris, so she'll you know let you know how you're doing. Um, so can can you think of anything? Things that you need to do during the day in order to sleep better. Uh, exercise. Perfect. Okay. Yes. So here. Point for Ian. Here's Dr. Harris on exercise. Exercise is really important. Some people try to exercise really hard right before going to bed to tire themselves out. That actually is the one of the worst things you can do. So when you're going to bed at night, your body temperature, if you're a good sleeper, actually naturally needs to drop a little bit before you go to bed. And that drop in body temperature signals that it's time to get sleepy and it helps to release melatonin and really induce sleepiness in your body. If you're exercising right before bed, you're warming your body up and you're actually making it harder for you to go to sleep. You might make yourself tired, but internally you're making all the sleepiness inducing signals not come out as strong as they should. So what we prefer people to do is exercise about four to six hours before going to bed. Ian, are you exercising four to six hours before bed? Sometimes. I mostly work out in the morning. Oh, okay. Um, she says that's good. It's just like, it's not good right before bed. Um, so yeah, I usually go after work. So yay, high five us. Okay, anything else? Um, I'm going to say there's one thing that I know is a good sleep habit because I know I don't have it, which is uh, not watching TV or using devices or, or things like that. Not not being on, on your iPhone right up until you literally close your eyes. She categorizes that as screens. Screens are the really, in my opinion, one of the biggest offenders and problems that we're having nowadays. At least I see more and more um, adults and adolescents and younger children who are just addicted to their phones, their TVs, whatever it is, right before they go to bed. And it's, yes, the content of what you're watching 
can be problematic. People will go on social media, get stressed, get excited by whatever they're reading. Also, politics can be an issue for some people. A lot of people are reading the news nowadays. But the blue light exposure is actually a bigger issue, in my opinion, for a lot of people. The blue light from these devices makes your brain think that the sun is still out, and it makes melatonin, which your brain naturally produces, that makes you sleepy. It makes melatonin go away, essentially. So it's almost as if your brain is staring into the sun right before going to bed, and it makes it harder for you to be able to go to sleep. And it also makes your sleep quality worse. There's been some research showing that people who look at smartphones and devices before bed can take up to an hour or longer to fall asleep when they're actually using them regularly. So it's really important to try and power down the hour before bed, go old school, read a book, listen to some music, do some relaxation or mindfulness exercises, drawing, whatever works to relax you. Sleep is not an on-off switch. You have to set the stage for it so that you can then have a restful night. So I do read most nights on my phone before I I go to bed. I was going to say, I read every night on my iPad or my Kindle, but I'm always reading a book. I'm not on like Twitter or Facebook or anything. Yeah, I use my night setting that you can use for the book. Oh, really? Yeah, so it's white text on a black background. Wait, what? uh, Which she told me is okay. When you block the blue light, the night shift setting that they have now on the iPhones, that's fine. Um, There are people who use laptops before bed. You can get um, f.lux is a a app that you can download for the laptops. I have patients who, they swear to me that they have to watch some friends or whatever show is relaxing for them before bed. And I try not to get into arguments with them over watching something that's a comedy that's relaxing. So if they're willing to put on blue blocking goggles, you can get them easily online. If they're willing to do that, go ahead, watch something that's quiet, calm, and relaxing. But I'm a big fan of just trying to be able to calm yourself down and just go old school. And we're so stressed in our society that why not practice a little bit of mindfulness or relaxation exercises before bed? Because it really can help with the anxiety that so much of our society is experiencing. What are these goggles, though? I feel like we need to cover that right away. I was really considering purchasing them, but I just feel like even though there's nobody else in my apartment with me, you know, at that time, like, I don't want to be sitting there with, like, goggles on. You would know. Watching Netflix. You would know you were wearing the Netflix goggles. Yeah, yeah. Um, okay, any any other guesses of sleep hygiene things? Oh, you know what I did right before we, we sat down to record this, which I'll bet was not a good thing? I had my customary 5.30 to 5.45 coffee. Yeah, I I don't think Dr. Harris would approve. You can have a cup or two of coffee during the day or tea, whatever it is that you want with caffeine in it, but try to cut it off. If you're someone who typically goes to bed around 11 or 12 at night, try to cut it off by two in the afternoon. Caffeine can stay in your system for upwards of 12 hours. So people might not think that they're affected by caffeine and they might say, I can still fall asleep even if I have a cup of coffee. But what it can do is actually cause you to have more awakenings at night as well and have lighter sleep. That's really interesting because I had had not put that together because I generally these days don't have much of a problem falling asleep, mm-hmm. but sleeping through the night is something I rarely do. Yeah, so she said it can make you wake up and also you won't go into as deep of a sleep. So other things I thought were interesting were she said that it's really important to be in a dark space. Especially now when the sun is coming up earlier and earlier, room 
darkening shades are not enough. You need a light blocking shade. So get something that completely blocks out the light. You can get really inexpensive ones online. Um, if you can get something that blocks the light, sometimes a little bit of light will come through the sides of the windows. So what I do is I then have some um, inexpensive drapes that I have on the side to really block all the light. I have two little kids at home, and I notice that from just blocking the light helps them to sleep later in the morning. And it helps me. I like to treat my bedroom almost like a cocoon. Um, so quiet, dark, comfortable, and cool is the other thing. So as we start to get into the summer months and it's not winter anymore, you really want to make sure that your bedroom is cool. If it's too warm, remember your body temperature needs to drop throughout the night a little bit to help induce sleepiness and keep you asleep up until it's about time to wake up in the morning. If your room is too warm, it actually makes it harder for you to stay asleep throughout the night. I've had patients over the years put their sheets in the freezer, put their pillowcase in the freezer, there are cooling pillows, whatever you can to keep things nice and cool throughout the night. The final thing, which is unfortunate, is um, is alcohol. A lot of people drink alcohol hoping that it will make them sleepy, and it often does. But what you do is you might have that glass of alcohol and fall asleep, but the quality of your sleep is actually worse, and you might wake up more at night. I'm to the point in my life where I fill out the physical form, and I yeah. say like three to five drinks per week. That's no longer a lie, actually. Well, then it's just uh, unfortunate for me because I do like my uh, Sauve Blanc time at night. Uh, but I guess it's all just a give and take, you know? Because I'm an anxious person who really values sleep, and I know a lot of our listeners are too, um, I thought it would be fun to take a field trip to my apartment to show you my sleep setup. I brought Ian over to check it out with me. This is my apartment. It's a lovely place. Thank you. There are two basic rooms. There's my kitchen slash living space and then my bedroom. And they both have weird noises. I had a friend who used to call my, my living space the jungle because sometimes the pipes like make really loud, almost scary noises, like thunderstormy noises. My, my last apartment was like that. It had one of those one of those like old ass New York radiators, but it just sounds like someone is inside your room hitting the radiator with a wrench. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. So uh, if you hear that, uh, that's what's going on here. Um, or I'm hitting the radiator with a wrench. Okay. I, please, I told you to stop doing that, Ian. Well, it's not polite. And then, and then this is my bedroom that we're in right now. Um, the other, other sound that you might hear in here is uh, the subway. If you look out the window, you can see it. It goes over ground. So, oh, hey. <laughs> oh, hey there, subway. So either like banging New York pipe sounds or the subway. So how does that affect your sleep in here? Well, I'll show you. I try to block out the noise as much as possible. Okay. I have my uh, white noise machine, so I'll turn it on. Actually, this is brown noise. You have brown noise, gray noise, pink noise, and white noise, and I, I like the brown noise. Okay, so I'll have my brown noise going. I'm gonna turn. I'm gonna turn that off now. I should point out, you also have my personal favorite white noise generator, which is an air conditioner. Yes. Does I'll, that play a role too? One of the things that people always say, or like <laughs> mental health professionals say, is that you're supposed to be in a cool space. And like, my apartment will get really hot. I decided to um, turn on my <laughs> AC unit the, the past few nights when I've been going to sleep, which I feel like guilty about because... Oh my God, I sleep with my AC on every night 
full blast. It's just like the difference between being like comfortable in your own home and not. I also have my body pillow. I usually start sleeping on my side, hugging my body pillow, and then I'll roll over and then I'll have my body pillow on my side. And then I usually will take another pillow and put it on this side so that I'm sort of like sandwiched in between the two. So you're flanked. Yeah, so I feel like safe. So then this is my 20 pound weighted blanket. So I pull it up and over me. Oh, it feels so much better already. It's just here, it's hard when the AC is not on because it's so hot. Yeah, so how many blankets does this feel like? (sighs) Like a hundred. So it's like made up of all of these, these, these beads um, and they're evenly distributed throughout this blanket. Most of the people who have these, like this is primarily marketed to autistic children because there's something soothing about have, like feeling weighted down, like the, 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 the sensory, like feeling like compressed um, is something that I guess a lot of autistic children find comforting and also me. <laughs> so I have that and then I have, okay, so this is new actually. This is my lavender infused weighted sleep mask. Hmm, okay. This smell nice. Yeah. So I'll put my, my lavender sleep mask over my eyes. And I was so stoked about this when I got it, but I can't like move around at all at night because it's like, oh, it's not really a mask as much as like a pillow. So if I move my head, then it falls off and then I have to readjust. I was going to say that that seems like the, the thing that where this would this would go badly almost immediately for me. Uh-huh. Like you say, it's not a mask. It's it's just something you like lay on your face. Yeah. Um, but then, I mean, I could I could strap it down with a mask on top of it here. That's what I'm doing right now. Do I look good, Ian? Uh, dear <laughs> listeners, I, I really wish that you could be in the room for this one because uh, so many things are not done justice by an audio medium, but boy, does this have to be right at the top of the list. You know, it doesn't need to be elegant. It just needs to work. What I would ideally like is like a weighted sleep hat. So I would feel weight on top of my head too. Aromatherapy sleep hat, ideally. Um, Let the record show that Re- Rebecca is currently describing a sleep helmet. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it would be nice to have a weighted sleep aromatherapy sleep helmet. And then... You're very dear to me, Rebecca, but you look like the world's silliest <laughs> superhero right now. Can I, can I tell you what I was doing before I got my lavender-infused sleep, pil- sleep pillow? Please, please do. Please do, because okay. it literally cannot be sillier than this. I used to sleep with a pillow over my head which like I've been doing ever since I was a little kid. My mom like really hated it because she was always afraid I was gonna suffocate myself. <laughs> but like, The pillow is covering my eyes and the top of my head. I like the weight, it feels good. But I would really like it if the bed actually ended right above my knees. And then like where the bed ended, there was like a tank of water. And then I could stick my legs into the tank of water and they would like float around. You know, one of the things that the weighted blanket is is helpful for is that 
I don't even know if this is restless leg syndrome or whatever. I know restless leg syndrome can be connected with, you know, the anxiety, depression, sleep situation. So perhaps, but I've never been like officially diagnosed with restless leg syndrome. But my legs do feel like when I go to sleep at night, they like, they always feel a little bit like, I don't know, they want to bounce around or something. So I think that having the water tank at the end of my bed would just like naturally let them float around. And then finally... Wait, wait, there's more. You want a sleep helmet, like a half water bed no. hybrid? Yeah, a water tank. Okay, so the bed so the bed ends right below my knees, and then pushed up against the bed is this water tank where there are two, like, holes for my, my legs to stick into the tank, and they probably have, like, some sort of, like, plastic covering covers my legs so they don't actually get wet, but they can, like, float around inside. Gotcha. So, so what you're describing is, is, is sort of a, a bed and hot tub suit hybrid. Yeah. Like, like if a bed was also a jacuzzi suit. Yeah, but I don't need the water to be, like, hot. I mean, actually, I wouldn't like it if it was hot. I want it to be, like, lukewarm. Okay. But but for the record, there's more on your wish list. <laughs> yeah. So finally, what I would really like is for the mattress to vibrate. Sometimes I'll be sleeping and I'll wake up and I'll feel uncomfortable and I'll need to sort of like shake it out. But like I'm tired and I want to go to sleep and I don't want to shake it out. So like it would be awesome if my mattress could do that for me. You can't get like a remaindered magic fingers bed or something? A what? I don't know what that and is. Magic fingers. Magic fingers is the like in every old motel room oh. you used to have the like magic fingers oh. coin operated yeah, yeah, yeah. vibrating bed. It's the, the exactly that's it's literally right, exactly right. what you're talking Sorry, about. Sorry, yeah. That's I, I remember that from a full house episode is what yeah. Yeah, that would be perfect, only it should be half. And there should be different settings, like not just one you put in the coin and um, you have like one shaky setting. There should be different like massage level vibration settings. Can, can I just, I, I want to put something out here. Any of our listeners who are artistically inclined, the one and only thing I want in my life right now is your rendering of the bed that Rebecca is describing. I, I please draw a picture of this bed Ian, are you going to pass out if I make you try this weighted blanket? No, I think, you know what? Here's the thing. I will give it a try. Okay. Here's what I'll say. Here's my prediction. Having never tried a weighted blanket before, um, I think I'm going to be very uncomfortable. <laughs> I think this is going to be really weird, and I think I'm not going to like it. Okay. I, I put this, a... is, this is already too much. What is this thing? <laughs> This is over. This is so heavy. <laughs> Ian, lie Crushing down. Me? Ian, lie down on the oh, bed. Oh, this is already bad. I haven't even lied down, and it's already bad. Don't you feel comfortable though? Don't you feel like? Don't you feel like? No. Who feels comfortable like this? It reminds me of when my dad used to like tuck me in when I was a child. Oh, oh it's like a hug, but if like if hugs were the worst. <laughs> I'm gonna put the gonna, the aromatherapy oh, pillow. Put more stuff on my face. This is the worst. <laughs> I quit this show. I do look silly when I... <laughs> <laughs> you can also seeing, hear the train going by. Seeing what she looks like. 
What would you do if there was like a fire or something? I feel like you would just like. I'm not die. like locked in. I can get like, out from you, under. Can you? I feel like it would take me two years to get out from under this blanket. What about the pillow though? Doesn't it smell nice? Isn't it like wafting you into dreamland? Uh, no. Taking off the blanket now. I'm never <laughs> doing this again. Okay, so signing off from Rebecca's apartment. Uh, we'll see you. We'll see you back in the studio. <laughs> Um, so I have to say, I don't do that full setup every night. I just like, I mix it up depending on how I'm feeling like physically and psychologically. So sometimes, sometimes it's just the body pillow and the pillow over my head. Mm-hmm. And, and then sometimes I need to bring in the weighted blanket. Like the, that's just like, I don't know if I'm feeling anxious, it, it needs to come up because it'll like calm me right down. So this is, this is really more like an arsenal that you can draw yeah. from yes. than, than a, a, you know, a full, a full suit of armor every night. Yes. Um, but I do notice that like, if, you know, I'm feeling anxious and I use like the weighted blanket and the other tools, then I do feel way better the next day as opposed to like, if I'm feeling anxious and I'm just like, nah, I don't feel like being encumbered tonight. Um, so I, I spoke with Dr. Harris about how good sleep and mental health are intertwined. When we don't sleep well, it, we don't feel well during the day. It's a, it's a risk factor for depression, for anxiety. And we even notice that when people aren't sleeping well at the beginning, when they start to have a decreased need for sleep or even start having insomnia, that's a precursor for a manic episode in bipolar disorder. So it, it's really very tied to mood disorders, and we have to always treat sleep as a very important part of an overall psychiatric treatment. Can you sort of explain what a sleep disorder is? So sleep disorder is something that either disrupts your sleep throughout the night, so you're either awake a lot, or you're moving a lot, or you're snoring a lot, or there's something going on that you don't know about in your sleep that's causing you to be excessively sleepy during the day. And there's all different classes of sleep disorders. Do folks who have, or who suffer from some sort of sleep disorder, do they normally have um, another psychological disorder as well, like our, uh, you know, anxiety and depression. How often are those paired with sleep disorders? So with insomnia, there's a, a, a lot of people with anxiety and depression do have insomnia. And it's a symptom that we see in our classification manual of a lot of depression and anxiety disorders. There are lots of people who just have insomnia separately. Some patients will say, I started feeling really anxious. I had... I don't know, some a test or some something that was going on that was a stressor in their life, and they noticed that that then created some insomnia. And then what tends to happen for a lot of people that have an identifiable stressor, anxiety, depression, they start to develop habits that then to try and cope with the fact that they're not sleeping. So it's going to bed earlier, sleeping in later, starting with sleeping medications, alcohol, whatever it is to try and cope with the fact that they're not sleeping, napping during the day. And that actually makes the insomnia start to take on a life of its own. So that's why we try to then target those other behaviors that is maintaining the insomnia. So even though maybe the anxiety or depression may have started the insomnia, there are other things that they started doing after it started that are then maintaining the insomnia. So that's why it becomes a separate issue. And then for some people, they develop insomnia for no identifiable reason. They just start having insomnia. And because they're not sleeping, they start to become depressed or anxious. And in those patients, it's very clear when you start getting them to sleep better, they start feeling better overall. So once again, you got to treat the sleep. So I interviewed a young woman whose story really showcases how sleep and mood are connected. 
So I'm going to call her Nicole. Uh, that's not her real name, but she asked to remain anonymous. Uh, so I started the interview by asking her when her insomnia started to become a problem. I think in college, um, probably around like the end of my sophomore year and really, really into my junior year is when I, I started crashing. Um, I didn't do poorly in school, but like my grades were dropping every semester. And that's when I kind of realized that like, oh, like I'm not doing so hot. I'm falling asleep in classes. Like I, it's harder for me to get my work done. It wasn't just insomnia. Like I, I was suffering from depression and anxiety issues. Like I would have really bad stress dreams. I would have dreams about me having to like write a paper or take a test and then I would like wake up from it and just be like completely frightened and feel sick because I have to do this and like how dare I waste time sleeping. How many hours were you sleeping a night during this uh, time and like what what was your sleep like? At most probably around four hours. It was falling into a cycle of like knowing that I had to sleep and then I would stress out that I wasn't sleeping so then I would keep thinking about how I'm not sleeping which would keep me up at night because like I wanted to so badly and I just could never I would focus on like things that I thought I had messed up in my life that day too. What led you to get help and um, what did what did that help look like? Yeah so it was like a crazy it was like a weird story. I didn't go to therapy by choice. I kind of got forced into it. Um, I was having some other health issue and I had went to the nurse's office and they have to weigh you and all that craziness. And my weight was, I was, my BMI was off. She said it was a little high and that um, I weighed a little bit too much and I should go see the nutritionist. So I was like, well, you know, excuse my language, but fuck you, but I guess I'll do it. Like, it's a free service. Like, I'm not going to turn down free things. I probably should fix my eating anyway. Like, whatever. Went to the nutritionist. She made me write down my food habits where we realized, or it clicked in my mind that I was, I wasn't eating, um, that I was drinking multiple things of caffeine a day, constant ice, hot coffee. Just was, that was the only thing going to my body. And she was just like, everything that you're eating is completely like no nutritional value to it. And you're, you're fine now because you're young, but you're killing yourself essentially. Um, basically, I think she thought that I had an eating disorder. So she was like, I'm going to send you to the uh, services that we had at my school for um, therapy. So I went there and I ended up in therapy. I did have a rough childhood I lost my mother at a very young age. Like I got, I was in a rough situation the first four years about who was raising me and uh, just in a bad environment. And I think um, I just didn't never wanted to process that. And I think it kind of fed into my life for such a very long time. And I just never addressed it. And I just know in the session, like I talked about it. 
then it all came flooding out about how unhappy I was. So then they put me on medication. That's when things really hit the fan. I think the first medication they put me on was um, Klonopin and Zoloft. And I told them that I didn't want to be on anything addictive because there's a history of addiction in my family. And, you know, if anybody out there is listening and you've been on Klonopin, you know that it's a highly highly addictive medication they gave it to me to help my insomnia and I was supposed to take it every once in a while when my insomnia was bad well my insomnia was bad every single night so I took it every single night and I started upping my dosage by myself and the Zoloft was making me feel weird and I didn't like it and so he was just like well if you don't like it wean yourself off of it like what does wean yourself off of it mean? I basically quit cold turkey to medications at the same time. and But because I had um, not weaned myself off this medication properly, I think I, I went through extreme withdrawals. Speaking of clonopin, I just want to jump in because I know it's been really helpful for a lot of people that I know, but it fucking terrifies me. It's, <laughs> it's something I've taken. I used to be a bad flyer. If I'm getting on a plane, it would take me from an 11 where I am to an 8 to where I can be, like, just a normal person, <laughs> not not getting worried just, looks from the like, flight attendants. It's a rough thing to put, like, a 20-year-old on with no, yeah. like, strategy guide for, you know, for what you do with this. And, and no, I guess more than that, no exit strategy. If you're um, going to take any drug, really understanding, like how it works and like how long you're going to be on it and like what the side effects are. And like, especially with some of these drugs for anxiety and depression, which like if you are taking every day, like regularly, and then all of a sudden, you know, stop like Nicole did can have really dramatic side effects. So like when they're talking about weaning off, it's usually like a process that you do with your doctor where they gradually decrease the dose until you're not taking anything at all. Right, because a lot of for a lot of these things, even even weaning off, even doing it properly in a doctor's care, is is not easy by yeah. any stretch of the imagination. It's you know, there's a reason you're doing it under, under a doctor's care. Yeah, so not not great if you are a 20 year old and weren't fully prepped on how to take the medication and then like just go off of it. It was like I lost it essentially. I went into like a medical induced psychosis. I believe I started hearing voices, laying in bed and just like feeling like there was a being in the room and it was like calling my name out and just like trying to get me to come with it. I was having panic attacks. I was breaking down. Um, my roommates were concerned because I would lock myself in my room and not come out. Probably should have taken the semester off, but I was scared um, and I didn't want to disappoint people. So I pushed through. But at that point, I just started spiraling. And like I remember like at my lowest, lowest point, like they had given me so many pills. And I just had like all these pills in my room. And I started looking up like, what can I do? Like, what combination of this is going to take my life in the least messy manner, essentially? And I just remember, like, what is, like, how much quantum do I have to take? Like, how much do I have left? And I, like, partway through, like, realized what I was doing and um, grabbed my pills and took it to my roommates. And I finally was able to get into a program that was free um, that put me on a better regimen of medication and I was talking to somebody consistently that it kind of helped me 
get out of it and kind of just like start talking about my feelings and start talking about what was happening and regulating my sleeping with trazodone um trazodone like it was great when I took it consistently it was just when I missed it it was really bad I would get really bad headaches I would get really dizzy and I would go into a daze actually passed out at work once and then threw up violently to the point where my whole face was like swollen so by the end of senior year I had finally regulated it out and I was able to like get everything in and done but it took it was like more than half a year of just going through that um so did you have anybody who friends that you could talk to about like this like crazy shit that was going on so um god bless them i lived with four beautiful amazing women who witnessed it all um and then i don't i also don't know how i did it i started a relationship amongst all that craziness i started dating somebody (laughs) he didn't quite know the extent of it in that moment because we were like a few months into dating when I like I started like hearing like the voices type of thing and I wasn't gonna tell somebody like by the way like I think I'm hearing voices and I'm finally losing it (laughs) okay (laughs) yeah it just didn't seem like a good idea at the time (laughs) romantically (laughs) um what tools are you relying on now to manage your insomnia and the depression and anxiety so I think the trazodone helped me I think it helped my body see what it was like to get rest and it made it crave it so I think regulating what I do during the day what time I go to bed um fixing my eating habits um actively trying to eat healthier things not just put caffeine and candy in my body and think that that's gonna sustain me because it doesn't like just starting off small and like health wise like being physical like I did like a squat challenge and it made me feel better which made me want to take dance classes so like just doing small like something like a small goal that is achievable and starting from there like get you to like the next step to do something more and more and just kind of build off of that momentum so I think that's what I'm trying to do and it's not for anybody else it's not for like my boyfriend it's not for my friends not for my grandparents this is strictly so I feel good for me and I think that's probably like a complete 180 from what I was doing I everything I did was for other people and now this is strictly like this is what I need to do for myself are you seeing a therapist that you like? Yeah, so I'm I'm part of a really great program um, with Columbia's Presbyterian Psychiatric Institution. And I try to see him twice a week, um, but he's been really, really helpful of just, like, like, being able to talk to somebody and, like, have, like, that third-party, like, removal type of thing. How many hours of sleep are you getting a night now and... How, what does that sleep like? I think on average now, I'm probably at six to seven-ish. Um, on the weekends, it's more because I'm able to sleep in. Um, it's significantly better. It's not great. Um, I do still have nightmares, but they're more removed. And I'm sleeping longer and I think deeper 
which is really good for me. I think the big thing that I still suffer from, it just isn't as detrimental to, to me as it used to be, is that I will stay up. Like, I don't fall asleep easily. But I still think a lot before I go to sleep. But it's like, um, I try to focus on happier things instead of, like, things that I can't control anymore. Like, I focus on, like, my relationship with Alex and how, like, happy we are. Like, the things that we can plan for in the future or I picture like oh like who should I reach out to like to have like a nice like grab happy hour or something yeah so I'm working towards it but it's better um it's so much better and it's nice to wake up and feel refreshed and not feeling like death because <laughs> that's the worst <laughs> Um, I want to talk about like how to actually treat insomnia and how uh, Dr. Harris treats insomnia at the yeah, sleep clinic. So she does cognitive behavioral therapy at at the sleep disorder center. So what you know CBT cognitive behavioral therapy is, you know, is like evidence-based therapy, employing like tools in order to feel better. So you know one of those things that she works with people with is like sleep hygiene, like we were talking about. Um, in the beginning, but she also does this thing um, called sleep restriction, which she- Is that just how you sleep? Like <laughs> restrictive sleep. Um, <laughs> yeah, just like, no, actually, uh, I, don't, I don't know how often she recommends weighted blankets, but she, uh, she does do this thing called sleep restriction, which um, first she'll have them keep a sleep journal for two weeks and sort of like track what their sleeping is like. Mm-hmm. She'll figure out, like, the average amount of time that person is sleeping, the average number of hours. Okay, so say you're, you think you're sleeping six hours, okay? Right. And then you'll establish a bedtime. You're not supposed to go to bed until you're tired. You know, or feeling physically tired is different than being, like, mentally tired, okay? Right. So you're supposed to go to bed when you feel tired, so you'll establish a bedtime with her. And then, so you go to bed at that time, so say it's midnight, mm-hmm. and then... If your average sleep time is six hours, then you're in bed from midnight until 6 a.m. And then you have to get out of bed. And then you can't go to bed before that. You can't wake up after that. So it's like if you were before were trying to go to sleep at like 1030 and you were in bed until like seven in the morning. Right. Um, but like you're in that space and you are like thinking and worrying and waking up. This is supposed to condense that and sort of induce a temporary like sleep de- deficit in those six hours. It's supposed oh, to be stronger. Interesting. Yeah. It's supposed to be stronger, better, deeper sleep. And then she'll add 15 minute increments onto it. So maybe if you get that six hours of strong sleep, then you get to sleep until six fifteen. If you extend that time and you're having those mental problems, then it snaps back to six hours. Um, and so, and they, they wouldn't restrict it so much that it's only like four and a half hours or something like that time in bed uh you're supposed to be sleeping or you know having sex those are the two things that bed is supposed to be for sleep and sex and that's really interesting this is like this is sort of like like boot camp like basic training for sleep yeah if if you're lying in bed and you can't sleep you're supposed to get out of bed go do something else until you feel tired and then go back to bed because bed is supposed to be the place for sleep I have one more interview that I'd like to play. It's similar to this previous interview in that it deals with sleep and depression. 
I spoke with Celine, that is her real name. Unlike Nicole, Celine didn't have a problem falling asleep. What she did have a problem doing was waking up. So she felt like she could sleep forever. And I spoke with her about a time in her life when she was sleeping an average of 15 hours a night. Oh, that's um, too much. Which on its face... That's, that's, that's 10 hours a night and like five during the day, too. Well, on its, like that sounds amazing to me because I love sleep so much, but it was actually like not so awesome. Both of these women went through the worst periods of sleep problems and depression when they were in college, which I feel like makes sense. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a weird time around 18 is when psychological disorders like quite often start to manifest themselves. And then like college in general, like your schedule is weird. Well, and you can also like, I think for a lot of people, college is that first time that they don't have like a structured, like yeah. here's when you get up, here's when you go to bed. I mean, I had a bad year of depression when I was a junior in college. My anxiety was really bad that year also. And then um, also when I was in graduate school, which I which I did right after college. But yeah, it's like around that age is like a particularly tricky time. So I started my conversation with Celine by asking her to reflect on like what she was feeling during that time. I remember being like, wow, why am I sleeping 15 hours a night? I must be tired. Um, and then stumbling across like a checklist for depression. Um, before, before that point, I'd always thought that depression is just extreme sadness. But I was surprised to discover that it's, it can entail a whole host of um, physical symptoms. For me, like one of the, the things on the checklist is either insomnia or hypersomnia. And at that point, of course, I looked up hypersomnia and was like, oh, lots of sleeping. I do that. Uh, and, and having, you know, identified with many of the other things on the list, I was like, oh, maybe I'm depressed. So what other things on the list did you identify with? Um, I mean, general feelings of malaise and sadness. Um, I felt unmotivated. I felt hopeless. It made a lot of sense to me that hypersomnia would be a symptom. Um, it was like an escape. Um, and so it made sense that, like, if I was not feeling up to confronting the world, that I would default to just sleeping more. Mm -hmm. Was it affecting your life, do you think, that you were sleeping so much? Absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, at the very least, like, that's, like, what, six to eight hours less of awake and being time that I had. So in retrospect, I feel like it left me less time to try to to get help like effective help so what time were you going to bed and what time were you waking up the part that I remember the most clearly was the summer between classes I was working at a Jimmy John's on campus I was the shift lead for the night shift and so I'd get off work around three in the morning and I'd go home and maybe I'd like stay up for an hour um, and I'd be asleep by like four or five and I would sleep until I needed to be at work the next day. So if I wasn't working that night, I would go to sleep around like midnight or one and sleep until around the same time, like three or four. That's interesting that you were like working such odd hours too, because like one of the things people say that you're supposed to do if you have depression is like, you know, make sure that your schedule is regular as opposed to like working these odd hours. Did you also have uh, that experience like during the school year? Were you sleeping a lot? Hmm. Um, yeah, I remember sleeping more than I wanted to anyway. 
um, during the, during the school year, I was able to kind of get help. I started seeing a therapist on, on campus and she diagnosed me and introduced me to a psychiatrist. Um, we had like one meeting with the psychiatrist and he put me on Cymbalta, but I, I honestly do not remember what happened like this. And this is testament to how like not okay I was in my memory they had like given me a two weeks of free samples or something like that, or like six weeks of free samples. And so I was taking this SSRI for a while and then I ran out. Probably part of it was that I was a college student and, and who I am and I didn't know how to plan ahead. And part of it was likely that I was depressed and didn't know how to plan ahead. But I just like remember like seeing the last pill and going, oh, I should get more. And then when I went to the health center they couldn't find my prescription oh my and so God. they couldn't give me more and I ended up essentially quitting depression medication out of necessity cold turkey um, and it just happened to be during finals week which was like oh man um, definitely at the time it was one of the most challenging things I'd ever done and it ended up being really good for me because it, it sort of kicked me a little bit out of the depression because there was this sense of accomplishment right like I didn't fail anything. Did you like experience any withdrawal symptoms from from going off the Cymbalta cold turkey? Yeah yeah the one that I remember most clearly was just like yeah the shakes. I was, I was not, I didn't feel like I was in control of my body. It was like, I, I wouldn't be shaking all the time. Did you ever see that psychiatrist again? No, I never went back to the health center after that. I was like, I can, I can figure this out on my own. So ultimately, like, how did you end up getting it um, under control? After I graduated college, I moved to Chicago and was still suffering from depression and the, the hypersomnia that I'd become familiar with at that point, after that first summer, I was not in any job. I was looking for another job. And that's when it really got bad again. And, and um, I think it took me about a year to start trying to, like, get exercise. I had a bicycle lying around for a while. And since I didn't really have any money because I was in and out of, like, temp jobs, I started trying to ride the bicycle around to get places because that's free. And around the same time, I started experimenting with vegetarianism. And I think like a combination of like, like a healthy diet, I'm still a vegetarian. And I think that for me, vegetarianism has been a huge help in handling depression, that and like actually getting regular exercise. I never exercised before in my life until I started cycle commuting. It was like magic. All of a sudden, I was like, not sad all the time. That's um, amazing. That's, that's, I, yeah, seriously. I say to people, I feel very, very lucky. Like, I don't know if the depression was situational, but I definitely do feel very lucky that all it really took was diet and exercise. Um, and I, I also don't want to misrepresent what diet and exercise meant. You know, it took me like four years to get to the point where I had a set of diet and exercise that helped manage these symptoms. I'm just realizing this is so wild. Like through talking to you about this, I have so many similarities. I also, if I did not have anything to do and, like, didn't feel guilt, could sleep 16 hours a night. And it's yeah. also, like, hard for me to wake up in the morning. I've been thinking about investing in this, like, 
alarm clock rug thing, this like mat that you put next to your bed that you have to stand on for five seconds for it to turn off because I have like such difficulty waking up in the morning. And like, oh wow, when I've experienced like gone through times of depression or even like bad anxiety, all I want to do is get through the day so I can go to sleep. The worst I think for me was uh, this year that I was in college and then when I was in journalism school, but it was like, I'll finish this assignment and then I'll like take a nap and then I'll, you know, be up for a few more hours and I'll go to sleep. Depression and anxiety is exhausting, you know, like, because my brain like is just like constantly feels like heavy and overwhelmed and like weighted down. It totally is. You know, it's exhausting to be like trying to, to force yourself to do things and to, to stay positive and to like be, be managing your own brain all the time. It's just like everything takes like so much more energy. Like the little things like washing your dishes takes so much more energy than it does for like seemingly like in quotations like normal people you know right the willpower to actually get up and wash your dishes yeah yeah and then like I would need to like save the energy that I had for like the absolute like absolutely necessary tasks like related to work or school or whatever and then it was like when those things are done Like, I don't have energy to, like, see my friends or, like, work out or whatever. It's like, no, I I don't have time for that right now. Like, I just, I need to focus on, like, being okay. And being okay means, like, getting my work done and then sleeping. Yeah. I had a a therapist years ago. I will always remember this little soundbite. He said, Celine, what do you think it means to be an adult? I absolutely don't remember what I told him. He was like do you want to hear what I think it means? Yeah, go for it. He said, I think that being an adult means taking care of yourself, even when you don't want to, or don't feel like it. That's Um, brilliant. Right? Exactly. And like, that's part of what is so hard. I think about depression is that like the chemistry in your brain makes it so much harder to do these tiny little pot it's so much harder to get motivated it's like there's this like heavy blanket lying over everything you do and it just takes that much more energy to to be an adult so are you still exercising regularly today yeah I love cycle commuting um um all through the winter in Chicago even which people think I'm crazy when they hear that but (laughs) if it's actively snowing I won't because that can get slippery and dangerous but most of the time the roads get salted and they clear out pretty easily and you know exercising in cold weather is warmer than standing still in cold weather um and that that's been just really amazing to me is that if I just don't give myself the option and I get on my bicycle it's always it's always fun either because the weather is great and it's fun to be on a bicycle in great weather or because the weather's not great. And then I feel like a badass for doing it. Yeah. And it's, it, there's something about like throwing yourself into a challenge that feels really good. Do you notice a difference either in your mood or your energy level or like your sleep when you're not able to, to exercise or, or eat well? It is typically way easier for me to wake up when I have done a lot of good exercise the, the day before. 
yeah, it's amazing that it's like actually a noticeable difference. I think the insidiousness of like sleep disorders and sleep loss and, and not sleeping regularly is that it's not just when you're in bed. It's all the time. It because it just it just colors everything you do. There's nothing it doesn't affect. It affects, you know, how you behave to other people, how you're able to do things, you know, your performance top to bottom, all colored by it. Yeah, I for I mean for me it was like sort of the opposite where anxiety and depression like like zaps my energy. I have more of like the Celine situation or in the past have had identified more with what Celine went through than what Nicole went through. It's wild that for both of these women, focusing on nutrition and exercise made such a big difference in their lives. Like I remember when when I was at, you know, at the my lowest point, which I guess was probably my junior year of college. I was living in England for the year and England did not agree with me. There were just like a lot of factors going on that were not like conducive for like good mental health. And I remember coming home over break. I, I was thinking that I was gonna leave this program that I, I was doing at Oxford because I was just like so fucking depressed. And then um, uh, I remember coming home and it was hard for me to do anything. It was hard for me to get up in the morning. I didn't like wanna do anything during the day. Like it was just hard for me to get out of bed. Mm. And um, my mother, I remember she came upstairs and I was like in my childhood room, like lying in bed. And she was like, come on, you, we are going to go for a run. I was like, mom, like, thank you so much for like, I know you care, but like, I just can't do that right now. And she, she like was so persistent and mom wouldn't have it any of yeah, it. No. So she was like, come on. No, no, no. She's like dragging me. I'm like, fine. So I put on the sneakers. We like jogged around the neighborhood and I remember it was so fucking hard at first. There were a million reasons why I didn't want to do it. I was so tired and I didn't want anybody to see me. You know, I didn't want anybody that I like went to high school with or whatever to like see me and be like, I felt like they could visibly sense my depression. Right. And be like, mm -hmm. whoa, look at, look at, she's a fuck. You know, like I hadn't, I probably hadn't showered in a couple of days because I had just been like, it was just hard to do that. But I, I started running around the neighborhood and by the end I, I just felt so much better and it was just wild how much of a difference like just fucking being physical made you know yeah and no it's crazy it's it is crazy so yeah so for for Celine like yeah both of them like they exercise and a nutritional like attention just changed their, their I mean in addition to obviously like therapy and like scheduling and figuring out what works for you and what doesn't work for you Right, and I think it's like we, we talked about it you know, a couple of moments ago. It's it's that sleep is this weird combination where it's, it's not just something you can address just with therapy and just with – it's not just a yeah. mental thing. It's very, very tied up in, in physical attributes yeah. of it as well, from you know, exercise and nutrition and all this stuff. Uh, well, you know what, Rebecca? It's actually starting to get a little late around here. And uh, if we're going to make it home in time for both our bedtimes, we might want to cut the show at this point. We need our hour before bed where we're just like chillaxing and not looking at screens, man. <laughs> I, I cannot promise I will get that, but I will, I will at least put myself in a place where I have no excuse not to. So subscribe to our podcast on iTunes and please leave us a review. Uh, if you subscribe, you'll immediately have the next episode available when we post it on June 15th. Um, 
here's a really great review from The Amazing Andy, which I'm 99% sure is my brother. Yeah, that's definitely your brother. He says, really good interviews, fun and enlightening content, and the two hosts have the right personalities to explore otherwise sensitive topics in mental health. Thanks, Andy. <laughs> Thank you, Andy. <laughs> that review is like, melts my heart. You can also listen to the podcast at grouppodcast.com. Thank you to Faith Rusk for her help with this episode. The music in this episode is by The Losers. Um, I'm not sure our president would like them very much, but I sure do. Check out Ian's podcast, Menagerie, which is stories on animals and how humans interact with them. So we'll talk with you again in a month. Uh, but in the meantime, be kind to yourself and remember that getting better sometimes takes a long time. But if you keep working at it, you'll get there. Um, not to be like the most cliche person in the world but it's a process man it is good night everybody get some rest <laughs>